The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. You continue talking about the, uh, the metta practice today. And um, since there are some of you here today who weren't here last week, then I'll, I'll do a, a kind of a, a, an overview of the practice, which is basically what we explored at the beginning of the guided meditation. So I'll do a little overview of that. And then um, I'd like to expand a little bit on the uh, instructions I gave last week and then hope to have maybe a, a short discussion and maybe a little another um, meditation practice, a short one, and then another discussion. So that's kind of what I've thought of for today. So the metta practice, first of all, metta, the quality of metta, the quality is um, the open-hearted wish for well-being for oneself and all beings. Translations of the term metta include friendliness, kindness, caring, love, loving kindness, it's, it's, it's open-heartedness, it's, a, it's, it's this basic wish for well-being. It is, in its pure form, this wish for well-being doesn't have any need or demand for anything to return. So it is an unconditional wish. It's just, may you be happy without needing anything in return. This open-hearted wish, actually, when we begin to touch into it, this feeling, the feeling of this well-wishing, is a very beautiful feeling. It feels really good to wish people well when there isn't any restriction in the heart around needing something back. For myself, I found it to be one of the most beautiful qualities when I've touched into that purity of may you be happy without needing anything back, what I found for myself, I think I mentioned this last week, what I found for myself is that feeling of love going out is actually the feeling that I had been trying to find from somebody else in looking for my you know, relationships and trying to make myself feel okay I had hoped to find something, to get something from somebody else, that somehow if somebody else loved me, that then I'd be okay. But what I found is that when I could have that open-hearted wish, that was the very feeling that I had been looking for. And it didn't need to be returned. So it was quite a, quite a beautiful and healing, healing energy. So this formal metta practice is, as you notice, no doubt, is very different from our mindfulness practice, very different from our usual meditation practice. In our usual meditation practice, we usually are paying attention to just what's happening here and now, noticing our breath, noticing our bodies, noticing what's happening in our minds. And in this practice, we are actively cultivating, trying to cultivate this quality of kindness and noticing what happens as we do that. As I mentioned last week, this practice is a purification practice. So it draws out things that are not the quality. I use the example of it being like a meta-magnet. 
It's like running this magnet of metta, of kindness over our heart. And what a magnet does is pulls its opposite out. And so we may find as we engage in this practice that we feel very different things than what we are trying to cultivate. And this is not a mistake. This is actually part of how the practice works. Another analogy around this, I don't remember, did I use the soap analogy last week? No? Okay. Um, so I like to use the soap analogy too. It's, it's as if the, the metta practice, you know, the saying of the phrases and the um, connecting with the beings is kind of like putting soap in water when we're going to wash our clothes. So we, we put the soap in the water and then uh, the agitation is like saying the phrases, right? We're, we're saying the phrases over and over again. And the clothes are in the water, the soap and the... Um, and the, uh, the agitation of the soap and the clothes begins to pull, the soap pulls or draws the dirt into the water. And then we can see the dirt, you know. So if we, if we're, if we have particularly dirty clothes, you know, you put the soap in the water and then put the clothes in and agitate it, you begin to see the dirt come out in the water. And it's not like you get mad then and say, oh, look at all that dirt, it's going to be a problem for my clothes. When it's pulled out into the water, then it can be rinsed away. And it's kind of similar as the uh, uh, practice of kindness, of saying these phrases, of wishing well to others, begins to draw out of us the things, or pull to consciousness, actually. I think it's drawing into consciousness the ways in which we are blocked from that wish, the ways in which we tighten around it. And it's not a mistake, it's not a problem. It actually allows it to then be released or rinsed away, washed away through these, this purification, through this coming into consciousness. It can be released if we have a skillful relationship with, to these things as they come into our minds. So the uh, practice unfolds through wishing well, wishing these various Aspects. I used four phrases in the guided meditation. May you be happy. May you be healthy. May you be safe. May you live with ease. And um, they're, they're kind of just four different aspects of this quality of wishing well, of this aspect of what, what happens when we have this feeling of kindness in our hearts. These wishes are very natural. So that if, if this, if this uh, feeling is present, this kind of wish will, would naturally come up. These various um, forms of expressions of kindness would come out. And what we're trying to do here is to incline the mind towards that feeling by bringing those thoughts into mind. So it's actually a practice of... Um, It's a kind of a reflective practice where we use thoughts to incline our mind in a certain direction. This is, um, you know, based essentially on one teaching the Buddha gave. Whatever one thinks and ponders, that becomes the inclination of the mind. So if we frequently ponder or bring into mind thoughts of well-wishing, it will tend to incline the mind more in that direction over time. And it will bring out the things that uh, kind of get in the way as well. And we can begin to allow those to release.
So we have these four phrases, and, you know, as I said last week, these aren't, you know, there's nothing um, in particular about these phrases. These are the ones I tend to use. They're simple. I like them simple. But um, many people like to kind of explore, experiment with the phrases to find ones that really resonate. I mean, this is a key for this practice, finding something that really resonates for you, what works for you, finding phrases that express these kind of basic wishes for happiness and well-being. And, then, and, and using those, if they're evocative for you, if the phrases help you to evoke the feeling, then, then go with those phrases, whatever phrases work for you. This, um, in the using of phrases, you know, the, the reflective practice, what I've seen in my own, um, in my own practice is when I use a phrase or use a reflection if the mind has settled a little bit and I drop a reflection into the mind or a phrase or a word into the mind, it's kind of amazing actually how the, the body and mind respond or resonate to that phrase. And so part of the exploration here is to, with each phrase, check in and see how has the body and mind resonated Or has it contracted, for instance? What has happened? How has it impacted you? That's probably a better word. How has the phrase impacted you? So that it's not just saying the words, the phrases in your mind. You're actually checking in and seeing, how is it, it, has it done anything to you? Has it changed you? Has it shifted anything in any way for you? And I usually check in in the area of the heart. Has it? impacted me in the area of the heart at all. And sometimes I might feel a slight contraction if I'm feeling some fear or some aversion. Or it might, I might feel a little tiny opening, a little expanding of the heart. This instruction, when I, I got this instruction, was the one that really helped me to connect with the metta practice, with this loving-kindness practice. Before, I learned this instruction about checking in, essentially to the body, you know, see, how does it impact you in the body to have made that wish? It made it more of an embodied practice and it made it more real moment to moment for me to check in to the body as opposed to just saying the phrase, saying the phrase. It was very mental uh, for me before I heard this instruction about checking into the body. So this is, this is an important instruction. It has been for me. And when I've taught it, it seems to be helpful for others as well. So checking into the, to the body, each phrase. So with each phrase, we connect with a specific being that we're wishing well to, understand the meaning of the phrase, and then connect with the uh, impact that that saying that phrase has had on you. It's important to understand the meaning of the phrases um, in a very simple way, you know, just in terms of what you're wishing. Um, it's, so it's not a mantra practice. It's not just the sound saying the words over and over again. It is actually connecting with the meaning that is an important part of this, of this metta practice. So last week, um, I talked about exploring this practice for um, an easy being and for ourselves. And that's what we did in the beginning, the guided meditation. And uh, just oh, one other piece to kind of um, summarize for those of you who weren't here last week. 
um, the practice moves outwards towards being able ultimately to wish this kindness, this open-heartedness to all beings everywhere unconditionally. And that, um, that is a challenge. You know, I'm sure you can call people into your mind that it would be challenging to say unreservedly, may you be happy. Most of us have people for whom there's uh, a rub. <laughs> so um, the, the practice of wishing well to all beings um, can be one that, you know, we kind of just kind of ignore those beings that we struggle with. I mean, it's like you, you can kind of put yourself in a removed perspective from all beings and then say, yes, oh, I do wish all beings to be happy. Wouldn't it be great if all beings were happy? And, you know, we can have that kind of wish, but when it gets specific, when we start thinking about, well, what about that political leader? Do I really wish that person to be happy? <laughs> so when we get specific, you know, when we start getting specific, it brings things up for us. And so this helps the, the getting specific, picking particular people to send metta to helps us to uh, unveil delusion we might have about wishing all beings well. So that's why we, um, we pick specific beings. And the, uh, the formal practice that um, the, the, it is suggested in the old texts, and this may not actually be a specifically Buddhist practice. It is taught in the Buddhist the Buddha taught it, and it's elaborated in the commentaries of the Buddhist teachings, but there's kind of an understanding that this practice was in the, in the air, in the, um, in the religious practices of the time of the Buddha. And so it, it may not be particularly a Buddhist practice, but it is, has been adopted, incorporated into the Buddhist practice. Um, so the the instructions say that we'll have different categories of beings, you know, that they're kind of, if we think about the whole of, of all beings, we can kind of divide them up into five different categories. There, there is ourself, and then there are people that have really helped us, that um, serve almost as, that serve as benefactors for us. And then there are our, our dear friends, the people that we're close to, our families perhaps. Um, and then there are people that we don't know. People that we, um, you know, most of, the, most of all beings falls into this category of people that we don't know. And then there are people that are difficult for us. So the uh, instructions are to pick somebody for each of these categories so that we can begin to see what are the the, what's the rub with each of these categories? And each one presents, each of these categories presents its own challenges for us. So the, the other instruction is that with the metta practice, we typically start where it's easiest and then move gradually outwards to places where it's more and more challenging to wish well. So the traditional order for metta is to start with oneself and that 
in our culture seems to be challenging for many, although not all. So if you find it easy to send metta to yourself, if that just feels like the most natural thing to do, that's a great place to begin. If that's a little challenging for you, um, I suggested the easy being, a being that makes you smile. And that might be a pet, it might be a grandchild, it might be a true benefactor, somebody who has uh, really helped you in your life. Somebody for whom the relationship is not complicated, but for whom there is a kind of an easy sense of connection. So this is probably a pretty small pool of people for many of us. But um, that's another easy place to begin the metta practice. From there we move out to family, friends, people that are dear to us. Now again, with family, I think there are many Many people have family members where they'd put one or another of the person perhaps in the benefactor category, perhaps in the neutral person category, perhaps in the difficult person category. So, I mean, pick for the dear friend. And so today I'd like to actually explore dear friend and neutral person a little bit. So I'd like to talk a little bit about each of them, picking, picking somebody for each of those um, categories. So with um, a dear friend in terms of choosing a specific individual, this category, again, is supposed to be on the easy side. So picking somebody, a dear friend, for whom there is largely, or picking a family member or or a friend for whom there's largely a feeling of connection and ease with that connection. Now, um, it's often helpful, um, although you can play with this for yourself, it's often helpful in the metta practice to pick somebody to whom you are not sexually attracted. And the reason for that is primarily to do with the metta as a concentration practice. So I think I talked a little bit about this last week, that the metta practice can be used as a concentration practice to really settle the mind down, to stabilize the mind, to produce um, you know, kind of beautiful, blissful, peaceful states of mind and body. So it can be used that way. And it, it also is its primary purpose. Its primary purpose is to use to cultivate this quality of metta. And then as that quality gets cultivated, as that quality gets stronger, it, it can become the kind of uh, foundation on which concentration is built. Kind of like we build our concentration through attending to the breath over and over again. As the metta stabilizes, we can... Um, or the intention, it, even the intention of well-wishing can be a, uh, a stabilizing factor in the mind and the mind can become quite settled and concentrated. And at one point I was doing a month of metta. That's all I did for a month on an on a, um, intensive meditation retreat. And when I got to, I was using a benefactor that was... Um, of someone who, to whom I was not sexually attracted. But as the mind settled into the metta and into the concentration, um, the quality of the love, the feeling of love, and the... Um, so that combined with the feelings of pleasure in the body that come with the concentration could very easily be mistaken for sexual arousal, or actually does feel that way. It, it has that quality of, 
of, of arousal at times. And that's not a problem. It's just that if you've chosen somebody to whom you're sexually attracted, it's very easy for that feeling of the pleasure in the body combined with the feeling of love to slip into the sexual arousal and then get distracting. So uh, that's the reason for that. If you're not doing metta as a concentration practice, it's not so much of an issue. So, you know, if you're doing it just in your daily life and you would like to send metta to your partner, go for it. <laughs> you know, that's fine, you know. It's great to cultivate, cultivate that quality of an open heart to the people that are closest to us. So that um, it, it can be helpful to, to not pick someone to whom you're sexually attracted. Um, now, with a dear friend, we enter into the terrain of knowing that person more, more intimately. And because they are a dear friend, in a way they are in a position, because we're more open and vulnerable, we're in a position of vulnerability with them. And it's very easy for people that we're very close to to do something, maybe unintentionally, but to do something that would hurt us. So this kind of specific comes into the mind when we're doing the metta practice for our dear friends. You know, we, we do wish them well, but what comes up for us is all these things. We're like, but they did that thing. They shouldn't have done that thing. You know, why did they do that? You know, so these, these thoughts will come into our mind when we're sending metta to somebody that we know really well. This is part of the practice. This is the, the, the dirt coming into the soapy water. This is where there's that rub. So when we notice that, this, this kind of gets into the terrain of where it can be difficult in the metta practice. That when we notice that, there are some different explorations we can make. One is to just see, can we just acknowledge it? Yep, there's that, there's that rub. There's that feeling of, of hurt, of pain, of contraction, of tightness. There's that feeling. And can I continue? Can I just notice, okay, that's happening. That's been the impact. And can I continue? Can I just keep going? You know, moment to moment when we do our metta practice, our thoughts will, will you know, change. So one moment we wish, may you be happy, and the thought comes up, but they did that thing. Then we wish, may you be healthy, and we see them, you know, um, hiking in the woods, and we just feel the sense of, of joy and happiness. And so can we just keep going and notice the impact of each phrase, each phrase on us? So that's the first, mm, the first mode or way to work when there is difficulty that arises. If, if some, some, some dirt comes out into our soapy water, can we just notice it? Yep, there's the dirt in the soapy water. It, this metta is doing its job. Okay, let's keep going. Um, it might get more challenging. It might get to a place where it feels so painful or so contracted that it's very difficult to continue wishing kindness to that person that you just feel like you're being swamped or flooded by the aversion, the uh, vulnerability, the fear, whatever is coming up for you around it. If it gets too difficult, then the next mode would be let go of sending 
uh, metta to your dear friend at that point. Go back to yourself or your easy being. Just just let it go. It's fine. The We're working to cultivate the metta, and the metta tends to, as we cultivate it, um, fill our hearts and then begin to be able to overflow to others. So if we find that we can uh, connect with a, an easy being and feel that quality or, or it's easier to connect with an easy being or ourselves, just go back to that. And then once the um, aversion or the difficulty has subsided, then bring your dear friend to mind again and start again. So we can alternate, we can go back and forth with these various beings that we are exploring. If it just feels dry, at times the metta just feels dry. It just feels like you're saying the phrases and understanding the meaning. If that's happening, um, you know, sometimes that happens. On this month-long retreat I did, I definitely had times where it just felt like, yep, just kind of doing the practice, just keeping it going without feeling too much. There's kind of a way that the just the simple inclining the mind, even if you're not feeling it, you're inclining the mind in that direction, you're expressing that wish, may you be happy, may you be healthy. It's a very wholesome way to incline the mind, even if you're not feeling it particularly. I think I told the story last week of a teacher who did a week-long metta practice, the very first uh, time she did a metta practice. And she felt pretty much during the week that she was just doing it mechanically, saying the phrase, understanding the meaning, not feeling much. But at the end of the week, something happened. I think she dropped something and broke it. And what happened in her mind in that moment was the first thing that came up was, oh, you're so clumsy, but I love you anyway. And she said that response in her mind was so different than her usual aversive, degrading, self-hating response that she knew something had been happening even though she hadn't really felt it. And so it's kind of a letting a trust, a trust that the practice kind of works on us, you know, like massaging us from the inside and we may not be feeling much at first. Then, so let's see, so with difficulty... Continuing if you can. Um, If that doesn't work, moving to a person or being that's easier for you. If you're still kind of feeling overwhelmed with difficulty, you can switch to mindfulness practice. Just allow that feeling. See if you can allow the feeling to be there without resistance. That's a form of metta to yourself to allow that feeling. Just like, okay, yep. Aversion is happening. Fear is happening. Whatever's happening. Can you just be willing to be with it? And a, a fourth way to work with difficulty is um, compassion practice. So, for instance, you might be doing um, metta to a dear friend, and what's coming up is either fear that they're not going to be okay. You know, so that, that's another way that, this, that the metta practice can run into difficulty is as we express the wish, we find that there's fear like, what if it's not, gonna, what if it's not possible? You know, 
they've got an illness or, or you just envision as you're doing metta practice for a dear friend, you know, you envision them being run over by cars or, you know, dying of, of illnesses. I mean, your mind will do these things. So you may find that the fear or the aversion is coming around um, fear of loss or fear of, of harm to that person. If that happens, then you can try compassion practice for that person. So may you be safe. I mean, may you, may you be free from danger. May you be, may you be free from suffering. The, the compassion practice, um, you know, if, you, if, you, if you're seeing in your mind ways in which they may be suffering, sometimes the compassion practice more directly addresses that. So you may be envisioning somebody and then you know, but, you know, they're really going through that painful relationship right now you know may you be at ease with that pain that that wish can feel more congruent at times so you can you can switch to compassion practice um, or if the if the um, the reaction is more a, a contraction around yourself of not feeling safe in wishing well and that also comes up that that as we open ourselves to the metta practice, uh, we feel vulnerable and we feel like it's not safe to be this open. And so there's contraction around that. And in my early um, metta retreats, the daylongs I did, you know, it felt like there was this steel band tightening around my chest. It was so painful that I couldn't even remember the four metta phrases. It was so painful. And the teacher suggested I try compassion practice. And that, that worked for me in that moment because I could wish myself, may I be free of this suffering? And I could remember that. So that's another option, compassion for yourself if it's difficult. Before I go on to talking about neutral persons, are there any comments or questions about what I've already said? Yeah, Joel. And could somebody pass the mic back to Joel? mentioned to you at the end last week, um, my words that I use are, may you be happy, may you be healthy, may you be at ease, and may you be free of suffering. So it sounds like I'm throwing a little compassion practice there, I assume. Well, yeah. I mean, it's also, it's also interesting that the actual metaphrases that are in the poly language are, um, several of them are phrased in the negative, actually. Um, they're phrased, uh, you know, may you be uh, free from danger. May you be free from animosity. May you be uh, free from illness. <laughs> you know, so they, some of them actually are phrased in the negative. Um, and that can be helpful sometimes, you know, if you find that the, the positive phrases, I was going to bring this up uh, next time when I talked about difficult person because I find... Um, for a difficult person, I sometimes find it hard to actively wish them to be happy. But may they be free from um, illness, may they be free from animosity, that's easier to wish them. Um, there's an overlap between the compassion and the metta practice, but really it's more about the quality of heart um, and whether you're meeting suffering or not. So the open heart that is well-wishing, will wish for freedom from suffering, will wish for freedom from um, 
illness. We'll wish for happiness. We'll wish for health. When that open heart meets some suffering, the quality shifts to compassion. That we wish for, their, for them to be free of that and we wish somehow to also be able to support them being free of that. So you, you're using a compassion phrase in a way, but if there's, you know, if there's not active suffering in your mind, it's more the metta that you're cultivating. So, so it's, it's more when it turns into suffering, when either we're suffering from aversion or anger or frustration or fear or uh, something like that, that we can turn that quality. And the, the compassion phrase being, you know, may I be free from this suffering. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so I was kind of, is this working? Yeah. Yeah. I was kind of feeling a really intense form of contraction around, um, I guess, offering loving kindness outward and to myself. And you've been using the word pain associated with contraction and I was kind of feeling like I couldn't really find the distinction between the two or wondering what the distinction is because with all the contraction I was feeling I didn't feel compassion towards it I felt frustration Mm -hmm. and I think if I was able to like perceive it as pain and suffering then I would be able to kind of offer some compassion towards it okay so yeah, I mean the the contraction, the, the any any way in which we feel uh, struggle, stress, unease, that is a form of suffering. I mean, it may not be grand suffering, but you know, a contraction in the heart can be felt as pain, and you know, just that feeling of being closed, or you know. That um, that that we can feel that as as suffering. Now, were you feeling that contraction as pain? Were you feeling it? No. Okay. Ah. Okay. So so part of the the thing with the the um, both the mindfulness and the metta practice is that that fighting through is the is the energy of aversion. So part of it is. Okay, I'm feeling a contraction. Can I be with that? And that can I be with brings the quality of metta. So you might just try, try rather than saying, oh, I need to break through this, can I be with this? And that actually will begin to cultivate that quality of the kindness. Yeah. Yeah, yeah Mary. Oh, could you pass the mic back? And maybe this is the last one, and then I'll say a few words about neutral person. Um, from Jack Cornfield's books and friends, but anyway, I have this, uh, what I'm just going to call it meta, because I never thought of calling it that. And it starts like this, may you be held in compassion, may your pain and sorrow be eased, May your boundless heart be open. May you know the beauty of your own true nature. May you be healed. May you be source of healing to others. May you be at peace. Mm-hmm. 
and, and, and I find it very easy to say, I have one person, I, I, I call her my spiritual thermometer, because however well I'm doing with her, <laughs> how well I'm doing. <laughs> so those phrases, that uh, you got them from one of Jack's books or uh, from various that, places? Some were friends gave me, but I think they were mostly Jack's. Yeah, the, they're, they're expressive of a range of the quality of the open heart. You know, as I said a little while ago, the, you know, there's, the, there's the quality of the open heart that's the quality that wishes well. When that open heart meets suffering, it shifts to wishing freedom from that pain, freedom from that suffering. When that open heart meets, meets success, joy, the wish is, may that continue? May you have more of that? And so that turns into what, what's called empathetic or sympathetic joy. And, and then there's a, a quality of um, uh, balance of mind that we basically also need to understand that that open heart wishing well um, needs to understand that we n- can't necessarily make others happy or make others, you know, suffering go away. That, that their journey, their choices are their own to make. And that, that, I think, is expressive of the one, may you understand your own true nature, which is that we each make our own choices for our own happiness. Um, so that's expressive of the quality of equanimity, of balance of mind. And these four qualities, uh, kindness, of love, of metta, of compassion, karuna, of sympathetic joy, of mudita, of equanimity, of upekka. Those are called the four divine abodes. And they are the, I think of them as the map of the open heart, the emotional map of the open heart. That when the, open, the heart is open and not restricted or constricted, that, these, are the, these are the emotions that we, we, we will navigate the world with. And so it's beautiful. It's beautiful qualities to move towards. And sometimes people feel or think that if the, if the mind gets at ease, if the mind um, is non-reactive, that it's going to be really flat and boring. But when the mind is non-reactive, it resonates. It, it like resonates in tune with the world. It's open to suffering and feels the pain of that but it's not it's not a contracted feeling it's a it's the the beautiful wish for that freedom from that when there's joy the heart resonates with that and the mind also is balanced to know it's like this it's like this so those those phrases are in the terrain of metta and they are kind of the ter- in the terrain of the entire emotional map of the open heart so they're beautiful Phrases to work with. Jack Cornfield, he's um, he's a founding teacher of Spirit Rock. He's one of the um, uh, senior meditation teachers in our community. Both Gil and I trained with Jack. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, let's see. Actually, I could save the neutral person for next time, and we could do a little guided meditation on with with dear friend. Yeah, that'd be good. <laughs>